The fortune teller and her grandfather went to New York City on an Amtrak train, racketing along with their identical peaky white faces set due north. The grandfather had left his hearing aid at home on the bureau. He wore a black suit, pearl-gray suspenders, and a very old-fashioned, expensive-looking, pinstriped, collarless shirt. No matter what happened, he kept his deep-socketed eyes fixed upon the seat in front of him. He continued sliding a thumb over the news clipping he held in his hand. Either the train had turned his deafness absolute, or else he had something very serious on his mind. It was hard to tell which. In any case, he would not answer the few things the fortune teller said to him. Past his downy white head, outside the scummy window, factories and warehouses streamed along. Occasionally, a leftover forest would coast into view and then out again. Twisted bare trees, trunks ripped by lightning, logs covered with vines, tangled raspy bushes and beer cans, whiskey bottles, rusted carburetors, sewing machines, and armchairs. Then some town or other would take over. Men wearing several layers of jackets struggled with crates and barrels on loading docks, their breaths trailing out of their mouths in white tatters. It was January, and cold enough to make the brick buildings appear to darken and condense. The fortune teller, who was not a gypsy, or even Spanish, but a lanky, weedy, blonde woman in a Breton hat and a faded shift, took a National Geographic from a straw bag on the floor and started reading it from back to front. She flicked the pages after barely a glance, rapidly swinging one crossed foot. Halfway through the magazine, she bent to rummage through the bag again. She felt her grandfather slide his eyes over to see what she was keeping there. Tarot cards? A crystal ball? Some other tool of her mysterious, disreputable profession? But all she showed was a spill of multicolored kerchief and then a box of Luton's cough drops, which she took out and offered him. He refused. She put one in her mouth, giving him a sudden smile that completely upturned every one of her pale, straight features. Her grandfather absorbed it but forgot to smile back. He returned to his view of the seat ahead, a button-on antimacassar with an old lady's netted hat just beyond. In his hand, stroked by his puckered thumb, the newspaper clipping first rustled and then wilted and dropped, but the fortune teller knew it by heart anyway. Tabor Suddenly, on December 18, 1972, Paul Jeffrey Sr. of New York City, formerly of Baltimore, beloved husband of Deborah Palmer Tabor, father of Paul J. Tabor Jr. of Chicago, and Teresa T. Haynes of Springline, Massachusetts, also survived by five grandchildren and seven great-grandchildren. Services will be held Thursday at the— My throat is dry, Justine, her grandfather said. I'll get you a soda. What? A soda! He drew back, offended, no telling what he thought she had said.